We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Rovey. I am Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. He's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 3, one fourth dimensional minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. And joining us once again, cartoonist Chris Eliopoulos. Welcome. Hey, good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you back. And today we are going back to Minute 18, which starts with Doc explaining that this was all completely open country and ends with Doc saying, well, good luck for both our sakes. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, man. Um, so we got our answer about the uh, about about the uh, time circuits. We, we only see the arrival time, at least so far. Mm-hmm. Um, next week. Maybe there will be uh, another shot of the uh, time circuits, but uh, I'm not sure. But uh, right now, we have no idea what date this is hmm. at this point. I will say, last minute and this minute, I, I it found it funny, like I said earlier about Doc Brown being so hyperkinetic. Uh, I noticed in the last minute and this minute, he tends to run every which way, and Marty's kind of <laughs> trying to catch up. Like, everywhere he goes, it's just like, you know, trying to chase after him and um. mm-hmm. there's a there's a really funny mm-hmm. moment in the second movie that i had never noticed before until we were doing it like this there's a moment where doc is literally running up and down the street and marty is trying to follow him and figure out what the hell he's doing or why right. while he's doing it and it's uh yeah i mean it just seems to be their relationship is that uh, Doc is this crazy bundle of energy and Marty's just trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is fun because he's so much older than Marty. Mm-hmm. Right. This, um, I mean, this whole scene just is such a cool remix, like echo of, which is kind of something we keep coming back to, you know, echoing and sort of recalling the first movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean like this scene is totally the, the scene in, at Twin Pines Mall. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. when he's like, this whole area, as far as the eye could see, used to be, you know? Yeah. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Then there's that there's that line, remember where you are going, there are no roads. Yeah. <laughs> where have we heard that before? Hmm. <clears throat> I wonder. <laughs> but Yeah, and actually, I feel bad for Chris Lloyd, man. He's laying pipe on this in this minute. You oh, know, yeah. He's just, he's, just he's, he's burning. But he makes it so fun. Like, it's an exciting and... Interesting, like he's giving you all the information you need, but doing it so much more interestingly than some people would do. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Like, few actors have ever been as good as delivering exposition as Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's, it's, he's, uh, he, I, I, I like that he's setting the time to September 2nd, which is five days before Doc is shot and killed. He has five days to find him and save him. Uh, and I, it's, it, it, I like the, the concept of, of that because it puts, um, it puts a timetable on things where, you know, you think, well, he's a time machine. So just like show up like a month before and then you have plenty of time to get it done, but you can't do that because then doc never would have sent the letter. So you have to wait until he has already sent the letter before he can go, or it'll be a paradox. And that's, yeah. And that's what sets up the timetable of five days. And I just, I really, I really like that. It's Mm -hmm. clean. Yeah. 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 It's funny for a time machine. They always seem to be trapped by time in these movies. Like there's always a time limit or, you know, a space that they have to get to when you have a machine that can take you anywhere in any time. And it's just, you know, you need that kind of anxiety to, to push the movie forward. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great move. And, you know, it kind of solves the problem that, that Scott and I had with the second movie, which is that it, it weird, even though the stakes were so big, it, it weirdly felt like kind of like there it, like there wasn't any race against time like the first one had like mm-hmm. they were they were just in a hurry because they just did, really didn't want the bad thing to happen but like there was really no uh like frame or table that they had to you know no deadline yeah yeah there, there, there was no deadline in part two and i think uh yeah. I, I think maybe bob and bob maybe kind of learned from the mistakes of part two and which is incredible considering how you know they were written and done simultaneously but it's so it, it's so interesting to see this movie recover from a movie that it was made simultaneously beside mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i felt I, I always felt like the second one was always like a connecting tissue between the first and the third mm-hmm. um and so you sort of like it's a half and half movie even that one is like you know half in you know the future and then half in the past and you know you sort of connect everything but it just yeah, it didn't work in the terms. I mean, even at the end, you know, he's trying to get the, you know, the almanac from Biff. Like, well, just go back another time. Like, you know, yeah. you, have, <laughs> you have you have 20 years if you wanted to pick it out, you know. Yeah. Whereas right. this one, it's like you only have a certain amount of time or before I'm dead. Like, like that's like the first movie. <laughs> before I the, die, Marty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's on your on your scalp. No, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. No, right. I intended that pun. Oh, OK, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh. Yeah, I mean, it recalls the um, the note that uh, that Bobby G talks about a lot when he talks about time travel and Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. He said that uh, one of the the thing that most people get wrong because he's gotten a lot of Back to the Future pitches um, over the course of you know since 1990 about you know future sequels or tie-in material here or there you know they've mm-hmm. tried to make a comic many many times before finally allowing IDW to do it same thing with video games things like that and he's always said no because the thing that everyone always got wrong was that the was how time travel works in back to the future and he has said over and over again the way that time travel works is that time travel is always the problem not the solution right and so again in this instance you know 
the the solution would be like, oh, just go back with 30 days. You'd have plenty of time. But no, the problem is that you would cause a paradox if you did that. So it it's always problematic. Always. Yeah, it's always something the characters have to fight against. Not right. You know, because like we time travel, just the way it works narratively, it's it's sort of like overpowered. You know, it, it's sort of like the argument against Superman, which I don't agree with at all, is that Superman isn't an interesting character because he's unbeatable and time travel can so often be such a such a, a Kobayashi Maru for writers because it can solve all problems. But it in doing so, it creates more problems. Right. Yeah. So like whenever a movie, whenever it's like, but because of time travel, they they did it. It's always you know, like it's like it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet for cinema sins, right? I would say too about these movies. It's it's interesting. Is the first and third movies, the goal isn't time travel as much as it is um, saving somebody else. So, like in the first movie, he's saving his parents' marriage and putting things right. At the third movie, he's um, he's saving Doc. The middle movie, it's it, it's funny. It's interesting. Marty actually does something selfish, and in that moment, he really screws everything up, and it's a movie about him cleaning up his mistake, mm-hmm. and I think that's a little less interesting than, you know, trying to save somebody else, so, you know, um, as much as it is a time travel movie, it's more about, like, um, caring about the people you're with, and when they deviated from that one, it just didn't work, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that's a big problem, too, is they're just looking to like, oh, let's go to, you know, World War II and let's, well, you know, those kind of time travels don't really mean anything unless there's some kind of connection to the, the you know, the protagonist and make sure, making sure that um, he solves somebody else's problem or his problem that, you know, helps his, his family or his loved ones. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's what I like about yeah, this Yeah, I thing. mean, the, the, the first film, what makes it so tight is that it has three timetables going on like three ticking clocks Mm -hmm. going on simultaneously and it's it's that one i need to get my parents together two i need to go back to 1985 i need to get back to the future and three i'm gonna disappear like (laughs) you know (laughs) four actually if you think about it fourth is he wants to save doc from dying right four perfect yeah so there, it's just there's so many layers to that first one, and and with the first one, it's really a a, a movie about like the the arc comes from primarily his parents are the ones that primarily have like the the sort of like hero's journey um, arc mm-hmm. uh, because Marty isn't really much different from the beginning to the end uh, as like a character like he's still Marty. Whereas the second one, I think, tried to be a movie about Marty and giving him an arc. But the problem was that it was kind of shoehorned in with the whole chicken thing. Yeah. Um, or like or him suddenly being like a, a get rich quick schemer. Right. Yeah. Whereas in that original draft of part two, there was an element where Biff explains that. Marty in the future is really poor and like his his wife is like the breadwinner and he barely gets anything done and is in debt up to his eyes and it's like ruining his family's life and everything and that's why marty steals takes the almanac not steals the almanac he purchases it like a 
like a like a like a good like a good little boy, like a good um, little capitalist. Like, yeah, he he buys it, but that's why he gets it. It's it's it is a get get rich quick scheme, but it's you can understand where he's coming from. Whereas in the finished film, it sort of comes out of nowhere. You're just like, yeah. wait, you're this kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, it's like he becomes Bart Simpson for a scene. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I really and, like and so so that I think that original version gave him more of an arc, and in the movie that we ended up with, I think Chris is right. I think it really just becomes like transitional material mm-hmm. um, from part one to part three because Doc has a great arc in this movie. Right. Yeah, and 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 it's kind of a return to the first one again in that you know uh, it, it, it's been said by 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 critics uh, smarter than me, so I'm I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not like creating this but you know like there are two kinds of stories where like there are stories where the world changes the character or there's stories where the character changes his world you know like you look at movies like ferris bueller or this where like you know ferris bueller doesn't really change very much but he changes those around and marty kind of it's you know and and it, it, it was a criticism i heard from a few people about um a movie that came out recently uh fantastic beasts and where to find them where mm-hmm. it was like, oh, like, you know, Newt's uh, Newt Scamander doesn't change at all. And I'm like, well, I don't think he, he needs to. You know, I, I think I, I, I kind yeah. of liked how in that movie Newt was this sort of unmovable force that kind of gets dropped into this crazy world and has to try and, like, make sense of it. But he doesn't really. I mean, yeah, he, I guess he kind of he learns how to make friends and stuff. But I don't know. Like, when we were talking about Marty not changing, that's kind of what, what popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he he does have that arc eventually where he lets the truck go or whatever. Um, yeah, with the with the yeah the needles thing, mm-hmm. but um, but you know uh, that it's it's such a minor, it's a very minor thing. I mean, it has a major ramifications over the two sequels, but it's a it's a very minor uh, plot of the movie. Um, overall, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so plus, well, I'll even say too. I think the fact that Marty it doesn't kind of grow throughout these movies really. Uh, he almost like represents us as the audience. Um, oh yeah. I, I, because he's like you know he he is still dumb like you know like when he mentions about thinking fourth dimensionally and he can't get it. It's a great segue for for explanations to go on. Mm-hmm. So like he can say, well, what does that mean again? And Doc can say. Okay, we're going back through time. Da, 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 this is not there, and so it can inform the audience. So he's sort of our vessel to go through the movie and um, and discover these things. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's sort of why we keep and I, I where audiences sort of cling and, and respond so strongly to characters like Star Lord, or mm-hmm. you know, like like someone that can kind of speak for the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry Potter, you know, Harry Potter's new to this world; he's experiencing it with us, you know. Right. Eyes of the audience. Eyes that the actually audience. that that transitions to my next note. Uh, Chris, you talked about conf- uh, a bit of um, like a, an assumption on your part watching this the first time with that picture of uh, of uh, William Wee McFly. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, my my childhood confusion of watching this movie uh, because there were a lot of movies at the time that. There were like a lot of high concept movies that had like weird like portal things and like there was that movie um with uh 
what, what's his name um, from uh, Three's Company? John John Ritter. John Ritter. Yeah, yeah. Where John Ritter like he gets that satellite dish that it's like Stay Tuned. I think is the name of the movie. Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah. And he's like going through all those portals to different TV stations and everything. And uh, and and uh, there's like movies like that. Um, big like crazy ideas like uh little monsters had like the portal under the bed to the monster world and mm-hmm. all of that and when when marty says i can't i can't go 80 miles per hour toward the screen i'm gonna run into those indians <laughs> and and doc says no like when you go when you go back in time the indians won't be there and then he goes back in time and the indians are there but they're like mm-hmm. actual indians like i thought he had went into the painting and was really confused about how time travel works. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I remember being a key- Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause like, I, like I just didn't understand that it was just was a like, visual joke. Yeah, that it was just a visual joke. Like I thought he literally went inside the painting and that's how time travel worked. And I was like, that's not how it worked in the other movies. I don't understand. Like the page master. You thought he became yeah. like the page master. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. man, I'm I'm sure I had stuff like that because that's one of the cool parts about you know people worry so much about like okay my kids see this or you know will my will my kid get that but we we saw stuff all the time that went over our heads and we just dealt with it you know mm-hmm. like I didn't understand like the nuances of who was you know which which Gotham City cop was like under the payroll of the mob when I watched Tim Burton's Batman but like I rolled with it I was like okay well. I don't get this, but you know, Batman's coming, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Or Jurassic Park. I didn't understand. I never understood what Wayne Knight's character was trying to do until I like revisited Jurassic Park in high school. And I was like, oh, he was corporate espion. OK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I will say uh, the music is great. I love when it starts to build up to this crescendo. It's almost like a Jaws theme kind of building up to them getting ready to time travel mm-hmm. you know, he gives the explanation it's like dun, 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 dun. you know it's that driving motion of uh, of a song mm-hmm. so get you build Al- up and ready to go alvin silvestri is a composer who i don't think a lot of people talk about especially not outside of back to the future mm-hmm. um i i he's he's often you know there's lots of composers that people bring up a lot in common uh uh, common conversation with uh, with scores, but he's not typically one of them. And I just think, you know, between this, like he does this, he does Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is an incredible score. Mm-hmm. Um, he's He also did The Avengers and Captain America, mm-hmm. which I would argue are the two scores that I, I can actually like hum um, yeah. of the, of the Marvel, of the Marvel, uh, stuff because typically their scores are pretty forgettable but man when that avengers logo comes up at the top of the first avengers movie it's yeah like that's that's a powerful yeah. musical moment i think yeah yeah right but i think he's largely he's he's i think he's largely uh, forgotten in conversations like this uh, and yeah and, and one of the cool parts again like going back to our to our no roads edition which you can download if you become a patreon subscriber for five dollars or more uh we 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 revisit 
um, each. Good job Robert, slipping that in. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we you know we, <laughs> we we revisit every Robert Zemeckis movie, the lion's share of which are composed by Alan Silvestri, and mm-hmm. the unique work he brings, the unique energy he brings to each film. I mean, Death Becomes Her, great Contact, Forrest Gump. You know, oh, yeah. Each yeah. of those scores has such a unique identity to them. Right. He has a crazy range. Um, hmm. I would argue his range is larger than even uh, like John Williams, um, yeah. who most of his most of his scores sound very similar ish. They're kind of they're all tend to be kind of sweeping and or like marches. Um, and then every once in a while, he'll do one where you're like, oh, that's that's fun. That was different. But it doesn't happen very often. Like Catch Me If You Can is a really different John Williams score. That's really, really good. Uh, the uh, Terminal is a really underrated John Williams score, in my opinion. Mm. I don't, I don't remember that score. I'll have to go yeah. check that out. It, I, I, I used to listen to it while walking to work in Chicago. Because mm. it was just like a, it was a good going to work score. Weirdly, <laughs> going. I like, I like Seven Years in Tibet. That was a good one. Oh yeah. Me. Oh, I, I like okay. that that score. That speaking of something slightly different, it was a very sweeping kind of, not very. Marchy, like you would get with Star Wars or Indiana Jones, so mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Mm. And then um, Alan Silvestri, I will say, The Abyss is one of my favorites from him. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Yeah, uh, that was that's a, a good movie. score. Yeah, you know who? Um, you know who? I think could could take a nap for a couple years, and I wouldn't really complain, which is sad. But uh, Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for him to chill out a little bit. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, Giacchino does a lot. I have, I'm not I'm not tired of him yet, but I, I can see <laughs> yeah, myself but it's coming. There. <laughs> yeah, I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming because yeah. that that uh, that Doctor Strange score was fun, but it's literally just a score for Star Trek with like a few notes changed. Right. Um, and at that point, I'm like, okay, maybe. Maybe do maybe not say yes to everything, Giacchino. <laughs> I'm yeah, very yeah. excited or anxious to listen to. Well, again, we're kind of uh, we haven't when we're recording this, we haven't seen Rogue One yet. But uh, right, he wrote the score to that in two weeks. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. No, I don't. Hand, I, 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 I don't know either. That's why I'm anxious. I, yeah, like on the one hand, it's cool that he's not overthinking it, but on the other hand, it might be that way because he's. He it's a lazy score. I don't know. Yeah, because he was uh they he was he he replaced Alexandre Desplat, who right was original originally the but he is the first non John Williams composer of a Star Wars movie, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes else. sometimes when you don't have time to play around, some of the best stuff comes out. So let's hope it just mm-hmm. kind of right. <laughs> let's hope let's hope the movie wasn't overly tempt. Yeah, wouldn't that be crazy if like the lights go down and you're like a long time ago in the galaxy far away? Just uses the Star Trek's theme again. Oh man. <laughs> you could, you could do like a Danny Elfman theme like they did with Simpsons, you know, bum 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 Yeah, while they're like running away from ad ads. This just doesn't work. It's supposed to be a war movie. This <laughs> is supposed to be a war movie. <laughs> um, oh, that's uh, that's pretty much all I have for this. I've got, I've got, um, 
I've got notes about about Doc, but I'm gonna save that for tomorrow for when he he actually leaves. Um, okay. But uh, well, uh, we'll see you tomorrow on Thursday. Yeah. Go check out our Patreon. All right. Do it. Do it.